Guys, hello and welcome back. I'm Jojo Fraser. It's time for a Mojo Injection, episode 68. I'm so happy you are here. And I've been thinking about what I want to see. Um, I've been doing a lot of writing this week. A lot of dancing and singing too. If you've been on my social channels, you'll see. And obviously a lot of noise with the kids and kind of the ups and downs of parenting, the mad moments and the lovely calm moments and the fun moments and the sad moments. Um, But amongst all of the busyness, I have had time to be quiet. I prioritise this stuff. I've really enjoyed writing. I've been doing a lot more writing for book number two and I've got a lot of words on my mind, a lot of words that I really, really feel. And I just wanted to remind you that it's okay to be needy. You don't have to be strong all the time, okay? Um, You know, we're all a damaged work of art, is what I heard earlier, and I love that. And sometimes we overcomplicate things, and and there's all these labels that don't help us. But strength is a funny one. You know, we are all brought into this world as needy individuals. I talk about this a lot. We need people we need sometimes to fall down on our knees in prayer it doesn't have to be complicated we need to cry out for help and there's nothing wrong with that there's beauty and strength in being needy it makes you human so just a reminder if you feel like you've got the world on your shoulders it's okay to ask for help you cannot do it all and there's no shame in admitting that you're struggling no shame because we all struggle you know there's moments this week I thought oh I'm really struggling being a mum these noise levels or I'm really struggling to to not judge and I say here every week judge less live and love more but sometimes I really struggle I'm just wanting to put the world to right the world to right and say we need better than this we're made for more and it's that balance between you know peace and calm and joy and love and and sort of trying to be a force for change and using our anger in the right way because when our anger is mixed with ego that's a really bad thing when our anger is mixed with ego it's a really really bad thing and it was powerful what adrian and i um, said last week where do you go from love stops you dead in your tracks doesn't it it's powerful so love wins here and i'm just so glad to have you back guys um there's a very important event on friday uh world dyslexia awareness day and I recorded this amazing episode with Darius Namduran um, a good few weeks ago now. Darius is an amazing guy, a great singer too. Um, he is married to Jolie, who was on the podcast last year. And they're just an amazing couple. And Darius shares from the heart. It's raw, it's real. Whether you know a lot about dyslexia and the impact that can have, um, he shares a lot, but I, I think even if you're going through a different struggle, you'll be able to relate to so many of the themes that come up and that feeling of being misunderstood and disconnected and certain words can be a real trigger for us when we're older. You know, if someone says to Darius, this was a really powerful statement actually, when he said, you know, if, if he hears the words, I feel let down or disappointed by you, it brings everything back. And there's certain words that can really be triggers for us. And as humans, we need to remember that um so compassion is key i guess but so much you can take from this and he's doing a lot of great things so if you want to look him up you can go to bulletmapstudio.com but darius will um talk you through a lot of stuff um here and oh what a song choice at the end loved it loved it 
So just relax guys, listen with an open mind, please give us some ratings, Darius deserves all the five stars, brilliant chap, inspirational, really making a difference with all the work he's doing, he's used, you know, a, a really challenging time to help others, and that's what, you know, that's why we have challenges, to to make a difference, you know, life is not meant to be easy, and I just love the work Darius, Darius is doing with teenagers, he's helping people, he's helping raise awareness, he's doing great things on his podcast, so I'm just really honoured to have him here and I really, uh, my intention is that you'll get something from this, whatever it is you need to hear, enjoy. <laughs> well welcome, thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. We got here in the end. I was like, oh, it'd be lovely to do this when Charlie's at school and I've got a really quiet camp. Not that I always recorded when he was here, but, you know, that thing where you're like, bye, freedom, quiet house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to yeah. talk about these deep issues. And, um, no, it's really good to have you here, so thank you. And um, you've got an amazing story. You're doing great work. So much I want to talk to you about. But I think it would be nice to go in with this sort of stats that we were discussing first. And then we'll talk about your story. So what's the latest research you found around our mental health and dyslexia and parents and kids? Well, they, the British Dyslexia Association just did a, um, a report with the All-Party Party Parliamentary Group for Dyslexia. I, and basically for politicians mm -hmm. to understand if there's a link between how dyslexia is impacting the mental health and well-being of kids or not yeah and you know there's some really strong evidence so they kind of they got a, about one and a half two thousand parents to write in surveys and so on wow. and um the results you know I'll, I'll read some of them out to you i mean it's quite staggering so like some quotes this report stark reading shows irrefutably that we need to do more to identify people with dyslexia sooner and support them to better reduce the emotional and mental health issues that were currently too prevalent. And it talks about kids who are, you know, for six, at six, seven years old, suddenly becoming, you know, really aggressive and with, or with totally withdrawn and, mm -hmm. you know, mood swings affecting the whole family. Yeah. You know, parents are spending tons of money trying to solve this because schools are refusing to acknowledge a lot of it. And thinking it's the kid's fault and the kid internalizes it all yeah they're feeling misunderstood yeah disconnected because they've got this issue they're trying to work through but they don't really understand and the parents don't understand and then it's a vicious circle yeah well there's a problem and what happens is the kid feels it's their problem yes and when you think it's your problem and you can't do anything about it the consequence is massive yeah. to your own emotional state because you're like I really am trying mum mm. I'm not being lazy I really am trying mum I'm not being careless yeah you know and they're like why are you like this why are you doing this oh. and you're like mum I'm really trying and the same then happens with the teacher the teacher has a chat with the child in the class and the child is very chatty and knows the subject really well tells a great story and they're like right write that down for me and put that into a story and the kid writes two sentences and the teacher goes they must not care that's carelessness they can't be bothered yeah. they're being rebellious or 
whatever. But no, the kid's like lost. They don't know how to explain their thoughts. Mm. And they're like, or they do some rambly, ranty, rambly story that doesn't bear any resemblance to whatever they were saying to the teacher. And the teacher's like, oh, the kid's just throwing this off and doesn't care. Whereas they were probably up for three hours the night before trying to do their best for their teacher. Yeah. And so when you're trying to do the best for all the people around about you, and you get constantly negative feedback, Mm -hmm. well, what's the conclusion? Yeah. There must be something wrong with you. That's hard. Can you remember with your childhood thinking, I'm I'm struggling and nobody understands me? Or tell us a bit more about... Well, it's interesting because I went to a local school, Clifton Hall Boarding School, Ah. just outside of Edinburgh here. I know people that go there. You might know a few parents there. Well, I went there when I was eight, seven, eight. It was hell. Really? And it wasn't hell necessarily because of the school. It was um, a great school. But... um, yeah, I felt completely misunderstood. I mean, the thing that I learnt, I remember the most was my mum and dad telling me how expensive the school was. Mm-hmm. They couldn't cope with me. And they needed somewhere to bring me in line. And how expensive the school was. And then when they came for the visiting days and so on, it was like, Darius, you need to pull up your socks. You know, you need to keep trying. I'm like, I really am pulling up my socks, mum sitting in the back of all these lessons, English lessons and things like that, and the teacher explaining something, and these kids all just kind of getting it, like writing English and grammar and punctuation and things like that. And I'm like, you put these, where do you put these dots? You know, why do they go there? And no one really explained it. And I think there's this dynamic in school where we rely on people being automatic thinkers. Mm -hmm. Eventually they'll just get it. But dyslexics aren't automatic thinkers. We're like manual cars compared to automatic cars. Yeah. You know, the driver tells the teacher, if if you were all in driving school, the teacher would be saying, right, kids, take that stick in the middle of the car, push it forward and go into drive. And now let's concentrate on power and gas, power and gas, go forward, stop, forward, stop. And this dyslexic's taking the stick, putting it into first instead, and they're just stalling all the time. Mm -hmm. They're like, I don't know what's wrong with my car. It just suddenly stopped when I braked because the teacher doesn't understand how a manual car works. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's what it was like in school all the time. And I remember one geography teacher, he was amazing because you know those teachers who are really strict Mm -hmm. but really kind yeah and that the children all absolutely loved and they would be we would all be really badly behaved in other classes but in this class you'd do it for him because he was strict and he cared yeah well he watched me and i remember doing maps you know and you had to ordnance survey maps this mystery of red dots and lines and so on and you had to have this project of getting one from one place to another on your map and understanding different things. It was a mystery to me. And then he stopped and he said, see this little red circle? Every time you see that red circle, it's always a train station. And I'm like, really? And he's like, yes. And see this little line here? That's always a road. 
And if you know that, you can get all sorts of places. I'm like, oh, wow. And what happened was he systematically, carefully taught me every manual step from first gear to second gear to third gear to fourth gear. And I got it. Wow. And I was like, I love maps because I get them. Yeah. And uh, so I had the bad side of it, you know, and some of the good side. Uh, My maths teacher was amazing. He said he saw my maths homework when I was in the junior school. And when we did homework, he would inspect and he would look at it and he said, Nomderon, you're going to be very good at maths when you grow up. I go, really, sir? Why? Because I was rubbish at everything. Bottom of the class for everything. The dunce, you know, literally. Uh, stupid. You know, that's how I was viewed. Um, like, in when I was in my previous school, the head teacher pulled my parents in and, and basically said they thought I was retarded. Oh, my goodness. And uneducatable. And actually... You know, now I've had my dyslexia assessment and I realise how intelligent I am compared to how they thought I was. And yeah. um, well, this one teacher said, you're going to be very good. And he, I said, why? And he said, because you're lazy. And he said, the best mathematicians are lazy because they find the fastest way to get to the answer with a formula. And you're the type of person that does that. And that's exactly who I am. I'm, I'm, I want to find the fastest way to get to the result. Mm-hmm. Always have, still am. Does that make you lazy, though? Well, it's a form of laziness. I can't tolerate wasting time. I can't tolerate messing around with inefficient systems. And it's a dyslexic trait, actually. I know? would, I would argue, it makes you productive, not lazy. Aye, yes. Um, but in school, a teacher would say, "Oh, that's lazy because you've not followed the five different steps for the the working out." I got the answer in one one step. Well, you got the answer. That's what you want. Oh, no, no. I wanted to see all your working out. I'm like, what's the point of that? (laughs) You know, you want the right answer. I gave you the right answer. Let's look at the next thing. Let's move on. And the teacher's like, oh, no, no, no. That's not education. Education is you doing all the steps that I said. Interesting. I like it your way. (laughs) Yeah. I guess it's different for every subject as well. But as you're saying, with something like maths, there is an answer. And if you can get there quicker, what's the issue? And with an English essay, it's like, you know, write an essay on where you went on holiday. I went on holiday to the Mall of Kintyre at Portman Caravan site. Full stop. Job done. (laughs) That's what you wanted. <laughs> tell us more. <laughs> well, how much more? You know, define it. You know, tell me exactly what you want. Yeah. Rather than this kind of vague. Eventually, they'll get it. Eventually, they'll know. Yeah. Tell me what you want. Tell me how to do it, and then I'll do it. So where? So with this map, what happened from there? With this ordnance survey map. With yeah, it's cool. Like what oh, was... that was just a small. App beginning of my love of maps I Uh suppose you know because you can organize everything visually without words (laughs) you know um pictures of my best friend and um I was just at the bottom of every class in school until I was 14 Mm -hmm. I I think I was even kept back a year a lot of my memory of school is blanked out because it was just so horrible yeah and you know sometimes when I'm teaching the children in in uh, in my business, 
and I'm telling them about dyslexia, it just brings back a lot of it. I cry a lot. I can imagine. <laughs> on, on YouTube, you can see me, uh, on Facebook, you can see me cry sometimes and with the kids and so on. And a lot of the parents cry and a lot of the kids cry. Because you're seeing, you're reliving it. You're seeing yeah, it yeah. impact other people. Absolutely. And you, you get it. Flashbacks. Oh. Like, oh my goodness, I forgot about that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it is, yeah reliving all of that pre-14 stuff but actually when I was in 14 when I was 14 I was in Glasgow Calvin Side Academy another posh private school mum pulling out all the stops to try and give me some sort of education that stuck and um it was another geography teacher really <laughs> my goodness I never put the dots so um I'm in the bottom class, fifth set. And you know what they do with all the naughty boys and so on? They just shove them in the worst class and just let them implode to, uh, on their own and then leave the other kids to find their own way. Um, I was with them. And um, he pulled me up at the end and I was like, oh, I'm in trouble again. And he said, Nondoran, I think you're smart. I don't understand why you're in this set. And I said, well, I'm trying my best, sir, which is the same line I say every day. Um, and he says, yeah, I think you are, but you know, what is it that's stopping you? And I said, I, I don't know. And he said, well, I think you need to learn study skills. And I said, well, what's that? And he says, well, it's, you need to kind of learn the rules of the game. Mm -hmm. well, what do you mean by the rules of the game? Aren't we just here to learn stuff? And he says, kind of, you're here to give me the answers I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. When I get the answers I'm looking for, I give you an A. And, he's, and I'm like, that was a revelation to me. I really thought we were at school to really understand the subject. So I'm in physics thinking about the substance of gravity when I'm 15 years old. And I was telling him this and he was like, Darius, we don't know what the substance of gravity is yet. You know that we don't even look at that until we're at PhD. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to think, you know, you need to put those to the side just now and just do the basics. And I said, well, explain it to me. And, he, and in two minutes, he explained it to me. He said, it works like this. Last week, I taught you some geography. This week, I give you a test. You just tell me exactly what I told you last week, and I'll give you a B. I'm like, really? I mean, like, I was getting Ds and Es and Fs, yeah? And then he's like, yeah, it's as simple as that. Just tell me what I told you. I don't need to understand it all. And he goes, no, Darius, you don't. Just tell me what I told you, please. I'm like, okay, I think I could do that. And then he said, if you can connect it with something else, mm -hmm. and this is what really made it for me that I've been telling you, then I'll give you an A. I said, I'm good at connecting different things. Mm -hmm. I can do that. Mm -hmm. So I went away, and within a year, I was an A-grade student in all my subjects, except English, from the bottom of the class. And I ended up walking away from that school two years later with six hires in one sitting. Wow. Four A's, a B and a C, and then I went to law school at Edinburgh University. Goodness. But my exam technique and so on only lasted me until second year, and then you actually had to understand your subject. Right, okay. And I didn't understand the subjects, so I was just telling them what they wanted to hear. Yeah. And then I crashed and burnt, and that's when I actually learned how to learn. Wow. That's when you learned how to learn. Yeah. I love learning. But that's when I really learned how to learn. Not just give the person what they wanted to hear, but understand the subject better than the person teaching me. Mm -hmm. Wow. And how do you do that? By um, 
mapping out all the connections mm -hmm. by making it visual. Mm -hmm. So the moment a dyslexic can understand the big picture, then they can start filling in the dots. Like a dyslexic works from the big picture to the detail, but yeah. most teachers teach from the detail to the big picture. Right, so it's the other way around. Yeah. I like that. So once the dyslexics kind of found the edges of a subject or mm -hmm. something, they're like, right, I get it. I've got the, I've got the context. Mm -hmm. I've got the edges of the jigsaw puzzle, and I can start fitting in all the bits mm -hmm. in place. Mm -hmm. Wow. When were you diagnosed? Actually, the second time I went to uni, I was 35 years old. I sort of started being successful in work, so I decided, right, I'll go part-time and then I'll go to university again. Uh -huh. And I, I couldn't believe it. It was only like 10 years ago. And I thought, oh, it's going to be great. People will be typing essays now at uh, exams in university, you know, because we're in the 21st century, you know. Yeah. I was like, what? You still handwrite exams? Yeah. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, but everyone types. That's the real world. And they're like, no, everyone handwrites exams. I can't handwrite an exam. I had to write apologies at the end of my exams. At the end of every exam paper of my hires, I would write at the end, dear examiner, I'm really sorry for my bad handwriting, for my bad spelling. I really do care. But, you know, this is, I had to write it like this to get everything down. Please bear with me. And were they kind to you? Well, I have no idea. I got A's. Oh, wow. <laughs> Everyone start doing that. <laughs> I yeah. used to go off and say that about my handwriting to, yeah. the, to the lecturers because I was worried it was going to go against me. Yeah. I was like, I'm really sorry about my bad handwriting. Yeah. But I mean, um, transparency, being, all, being vulnerable, saying like, I'm yeah. sorry, I'm struggling here. You know, yeah. there's power and, in that. And also to understand that there's another human being at the end of your communication. Yeah. It's not just a computer marking it. Uh -huh. It's uh, Someone described it to me, you know, there's like, tired teachers who are plowing through exam papers and they see this careless handwriting, careless mm -hmm. spelling, messy, messy bad punctuation, bad paragraphs, you know, and so I overcompensated by just knowing more stuff, mm -hmm. knowing that I would be penalized. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know? So at the end, I would say, please, you know, understand I'm not being careless. Mm -hmm. I didn't know I was dyslexic. So how was it actually spot spotted? Okay, so I went, uh, they said, well, you need to become uh, identified as dyslexia and be categorized as dis disabled for us to then be able to give you a computer in your exam. And if you're not that, you can't have a computer. You're just going to have to do messy handwriting. So I was like, well, I'm, I might be mildly dyslexic. So let's just chance our arm. Uh -huh. So I went in, chanced my arm, got paid 500 quid for a dyslexia assessment. And uh, three hours later, the woman was like, yeah, you're dyslexic. And I'm like, well, okay, I'm mildly dyslexic. She says, no, 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 Darius. This isn't just about you getting keyboard for your exam. You're moderately dyslexic. This is significantly affecting the way you're learning. I'm like, really? And she's like, yeah, let's look at one of your tests. And she had one of these tests. You know, when you're a little kid at primary school, they give you a little story about Jack and Jill go up the hill and do this and do that and go, go here. And then they give you 10 questions like, where did Jack go? What did they do? What were they holding? That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It was like trivial. I got to question four and I remember it. It was like, what did Jack do when they went to the lake? And I was like, there was no lake. And I'm like, is this a trick question? 
And she's like, no, it's not a trick question. Um, they're all real questions. I'm like, can't remember a lake. I'm stuck. I'm a 35-year-old guy doing a 10-year-old's assessment. And she's like, don't worry about it. You can leave it. You can carry on. You can back to it if you remember it. I'm like, okay. I went, and the same thing happened, question eight. And I said, can I look at the, the, the thing again and reread it? And she says, no, you can't. And so you can do it at the end. So I reread it once I'd answer all the questions. And there was a lake in it. I couldn't believe it. It wasn't a big detail, but it was a little detail that I'd read. I'd read that passage three times over. Mm-hmm. Every single word. And yet I hadn't clocked there was a lake and I hadn't clocked something else. And it was a kid's story. Mm-hmm. And she said, you're doing that all the time. And as a dyslexic, you're filling in the gaps all the time mm-hmm. and intuitively working out what would fit and most of the time it works but when you get into academia or detailed subjects you can't always guess what that was in that gap Mm -hmm. and you can guess wrong that's hard and so i'm like well i'm reading whole books and i'm missing important stuff and she says yes so what do i do and she says well you take a pen and you read with your finger or your pen i'm like that's a bit embarrassing and she said no that's how you have to read and so i did and she said and when you see a key word, you have to underline it. And then she said, you need to learn how to mind map. And I said, well, I've mind mapped since I was 21. And she said, well, that's why you could be a primary school teacher. That's why you got your law degree. That's why you functioned in academic and these kind of environments, because you could map. Mm-hmm. And that's when I took it seriously. Wow. So I'm going to launch this. Well, that's not when I launched this. That's when It was only when my daughter... Mm-hmm. who was 15 at the time. Joe had cancer. Mm-hmm. You interviewed Joe. Brilliant interview. She, Earlier episodes, it was about this time last year, actually. So she had stage uh, four cancer. And I remember walking into the kitchen and there's Rosie. She'd just done her prelims. And she had like her results written down and... I don't know if she had them written down, but she was standing there in the kitchen and I said, how did it go? And she said, Dad, I got a D in biology. And this is an A-grade student mm-hmm. all the way through school. And we had been seeing her heading towards the rocks study-wise because she couldn't organise her own thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, you need study skills. And she said, I've got it, Dad. We do spider diagramming at school. We do this. I've got it covered, etc. She got the D. And uh, I said, look, I'll help you do it. And she said, really, Dad, can you really do that? You know, because mum's in hospital, you know, life's gone pear-shaped and Rosie's desperate. And this meant something to her. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And we're like, look, it doesn't matter what grades you get, but if it's important to you, it's important to us. Mm-hmm. If it's unimportant to you, quite frankly, it's unimportant to us because we know you'll make it in life one way or another. But it was important to her. That's when I decided to start teaching her to map, but it wasn't easy. Mm. Because I thought, oh, so you just do this, you just do that. I'll show it to you. We'll spend a weekend. We'll have it nailed. You'll, you'll have your study skills. And she's like, she doesn't get it. And I'm like, Why do, what don't you get? And she's like, no, I don't get it, Dad. And so on. And she got stressed and anxious and she started shouting at me. And I'm like, I'm trying, you know, it, all sorts of emotions start to come up. Mm-hmm. And you start to realize that, you know, we've internalized stuff as kids, mm-hmm. quietly. 
you know. So I think what kids tend to do is they either blow up, you know, explode out the way, or they withdraw in the way as a defensive mechanism. I wonder what dictates which way. Well, I think boys tend to explode more and girls tend to go in. There's definitely some correlation with that. Um, I don't know. I think a lot of it's to do with personality mm-hmm. type. You know, certain personalities that just draw in and others go aggressive. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of like fight, flight, mm-hmm. or um, what are the it, what is it? Freeze, fight, or flight. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got kind of three main, you know, responses to a sort of crisis situation. Uh-huh. And so some people fight, uh-huh. and some people really withdraw, yeah. and other people just freeze. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I, I saw that what she had done was withdraw. Okay. And, and then when we started to dig into it, she started to fight. Right, okay. You know? Just barriers up. Mm. And then I realized that you know, dyslexic kids need more than just taught a system of reading or a system of uh, studying. Mm-hmm. They need to connect with other dyslexics because they all feel isolated. Mm-hmm. And it's this isolation that is so hard for people. I think mm-hmm. if you feel isolated, then you can't deal with your stuff. And I think that's where the mental health stats are coming in. You know, I've been doing so much research about connection lately um, and how that impacts our mental health. So, for example, my daddy lost his eyesight when he was 19. Mm-hmm. So to have that freedom taken from you, you're going to feel lonely, you're going to feel isolated, you need a community. Yeah. And I said to him recently, Dad, what would you do if you could go back in time? What would your career be? And he said, I would help people with um, visual impairments. You know, I would, that's what he would want to do. Um, so you, you kind of, you learn from your kind of challenges and that makes you want to go on and help yeah. other people. That's yeah. when you're really leading a fulfilling life, right? So whether you're listening as a dyslexic or you know someone or perhaps you've got a child who's got chronic anxiety and they don't know what what's causing it or whatever, we all have these same things. As you say, you know, you can be withdrawn, you can be aggressive, um, but the key issue is the feeling of isolation, you know? And there's so many correlations between that and our mental well-being. So and, and also physical. The interesting thing I've not told you about, I had chronic eczema oh, really? from eight. Oh. And so they're spending all that I'm going to the hospital, the Western, I'm getting bandaged, mummied. You know, I'd walk into school with oh. white cloths over my face with, you know, eye holes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, the statistics from this report is 50% of dyslexic kids have experienced bullying because of dyslexia, for example. Mm. Um, kids can be cruel. Yeah, I mean, you're stupid. You know, that is it. You're stupid. You know, we've all felt, we've all experienced that. And the thing is, you can push back against stupid. But when you feel you really are stupid, it's really hard to push back. That is hard because we all want to be accepted and we all want to be understood. And if you, you know, I I don't believe anyone's stupid. I I believe we all have challenges um, and some have more with certain areas as we're discussing. But 
Yeah, I don't. I mean, you're clearly very intelligent. There's a range, and and but one of the things with dyslexia is they're more intelligent than their writing makes them appear. Yes. Yeah. When you start speaking to them, then their real intelligence starts coming out. Yeah. Because they're speaking a language they understand. Mm -hmm. They're not native writing writers. Mm -hmm. They're native speakers and creatives and mm -hmm. visualizers. Mm -hmm. They speak a visual language. They speak in stories. Mm -hmm. um, so going back to the isolation, and the effect is, for me, was actually showed in my skin. So I think the underlying issue was the anxiety with being a failure. I was a failure. That's the bottom line. I failed at school. I failed at sports. I failed at everything. I failed at making friends. I failed at doing what my parents expected of me. Mm. And I think... You know, being a disappointment is really not a very nice experience mm -hmm. for anyone, oh. you know? Mm -hmm. You know, when you're a disappointment. And I think I felt like a disappointment up until I was 14. And then, you know, when I could do exams, that was nice to mm -hmm. get some accolade for that uh, and prove something. But that internalization of it came out of my skin. And I think it comes out in other kids as well, mm -hmm. in different ways. So I think what happens is when you when you squeeze yourself like this, yeah, um, whatever your particular weak areas are, mm -hmm. start to really get magnified. So if you've got a bit of <coughs> asthma or eczema, prone to eczema or prone to anxiety or prone to whatever is your particular physical or psychological weakness yeah. it starts to put pressure on that and break yeah and, and break if, out as yeah it were. and you see you can see it in different ways as well like where people carry weight they say you can show where you're stressed and your hormones and things like that as well so it's so connected our physical i had a you know annie breen um brain gut health expert and she was talking about the sort of state of mind that you're in and how that can show in your body, you know. We're all, it's all connected, isn't it? Mental and physical health. So your listeners, I'm interested, so your listeners, they're mostly mums? No, no, not at all, actually. I mean, I, mean, like I can't... You? I was sorry, that I was making that presumption. <laughs> no, there will be a lot of mums. Um, I have a lot of expats that listen in, I hear. Um, a lot of local people, um, entrepreneurs, mums, um, people that... I guess anyone that struggles with anything, I guess, because people come here for sort of positivity and they come here for... Um, honesty and to um, I guess be inspired by people like yourself who've had a challenge and you've gone on to do amazing things and help other people and turn that turn it into something where you know you're making a real difference on the mental well-being of kids because it's such a huge thing at the moment you know schools anxiety trying to fit in being misunderstood um, not having a voice to say well this is how it is you know we don't teach things like listening skills i mean we've got mindfulness in schools now mm -hmm. well in england but i'm sure that there's there's going to be more in scotland i would hope um so we're going in the right direction but there's a lot of work to be done so it's amazing to hear of is there any kind of dyslexia being talked about within your community so I was at a talk a couple of years ago and I was speaking about movement and dyslexia. So how right. movement's really, really good 
for the the kind of well-being I think it's good for everyone but certainly if you've got challenges certain types of movement um there was chat about that but yeah I mean it's something that impacts so many people isn't it so it's it's talking about it it's raising awareness so people understand because everyone will know yeah people whether you're not directly affected um so it's good to kind of understand what what goes on and and the mind and and how challenging it is for well, when I start talking to people, one in ten people are dyslexic. Yeah. But most of them don't know it. Yeah, I know. I'm starting so to think... <laughs> about three, 3% of the population know they're dyslexic, but 10% are dyslexic. And I would say a lot of Instagrammers are probably dyslexic mm-hmm. because it's highly visual, storytelling, mm-hmm. low word count, relational, um, community-based... You know, we're social learners. Mm-hmm. Dyslexics are highly social learners. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we rely on feedback mm-hmm. big time. Have I got that right? Yeah, yeah, you have. I'm on to something. Or the person sort of like got a quizzical look. Like, oh, I haven't got quite got that right. It's a way of figuring out whether you filled in the gap correctly or not. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so we rely on feedback a lot. And so we often have an idea and go out and share it with someone and get some feedback and then go away and work on it and come back out, etc. Mm. Why am I saying all of that? So you could be, but there's a lot of people, so one in 10 are dyslexic. Mm-hmm. And But when you think of that dynamic, if you've got four people in a family mm-hmm. and you've got three families, one of those three families is, dysle- is affected by dyslexia. Mm-hmm. So if you do the maths, it's like one in three families are being affected by this. And they don't know. And they don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, like, your listeners right now, they could have uh, a seven-year-old child who comes home and says to their mum, oh, my teacher wasn't very pleased with me today. She says, I'm not trying hard enough. Mm. And if they're saying that, and you know your child is the type who does try, that's a warning. Right. That's a warning that you might have 10 years of hell ahead of you if you don't do something about it. Mm-hmm. Any other signs that people could look out for? Um, yeah, lots of signs. Um, I've got a list of 77 traits. Wow. That, you know, there's all sorts of signs. Like, for example, if they have an unusually big school bag that's stuffed full of stuff more than other kids, that's a sign of dyslexia. Wow. Um, if they read really slowly... Or if they memorize storybooks and read from memory. And a a huge trait in early years is, you see, kids are really smart. Mm -hmm. They know what the person wants. Mm -hmm. And the person wants you to tell them that story from that book. Mm -hmm. So they'll memorize, they'll they'll figure a way out. They can't read the words. Mm -hmm. But they'll hear what you're saying and pointing to words and they'll be saying... They're saying roughly the, this part of the story at this part of the, you know. And so they'll sort of scan their work finger around that area and start telling you the story. Yeah. And so there's some parents who what they do is they flip over two pages mm-hmm. by accident and their child is telling the story of the page before. Right. To test. This is so common. Mm-hmm. And they've memorized the whole story. Yeah. And they'll memorize every book in the house. So that they don't get caught out. Because you see, a lot of the kids 
can tell mm-hmm. they're not always doing what mum wants them to do or what mum expects them to do or the teacher expects them to do. So they find other ways to compensate for it. And when you spot that, then you know... Because they think if they're not doing it right, there must be something wrong with them. And they don't want something to be wrong with them. Interesting. And so they're doing all sorts of things to show that there's nothing wrong with them. I'm a good kid. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm trying my best. And these little traits that come about... And and the thing is, when you have that attitude and you go to school, the teacher is like, oh, they're doing okay, you know. They don't... They're not doing the the best, but they're getting by. They'll get there. Eventually, they'll get it. Eventually, they'll get it is your number one biggest marker when you're speaking to a teacher. Eventually, they'll get it. Because if they're dyslexic, they won't. They'll they'll not get the reading. They'll be faking it and faking it and faking it, and then they're they're eight years old. And you're like, can you not read this new storybook? Mm. No, I can't, Mum. And then perhaps the parents start to blame themselves. Oh, I've not done enough homework with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. So You've not done enough reading. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Parents think, well, you need to read more with your child. Like, oh, no. Oh. And the guilt. I mean, mm. you, you should read one of the quotes um, from uh, one of the parents in this report said, I feel I failed my child by placing him in the education system that doesn't cater for him. You know, and later on, that same mum, another mum in in some of the quotes, it's heartbreaking. Like, let me just find this quote. The fact that I have to send my son into a school every day by law that will not help him, I feel guilty every single day. I feel I failed my child by placing him in the education system that doesn't cater for him. So if it's one in ten, what can schools do to make things better? For children and parents. Well, it's very hard for schools to do something. And they know it. Mm -hmm. First of all, it's very expensive. Mm -hmm. You know, like this report says 50% of all the parents are paying £1,000 extra a year for extra assistance with their kid across the nation. Mm -hmm. That's like... The best part of 250 million pounds a year mm-hmm. or uh, nearly a half a billion pounds a year on extra tuition for these kids wow. and most of them are hoping and guessing that something might work so a lot of the schools the teachers aren't allowed to say the child's dyslexic and some of the teachers here um where this is a quote from a teacher, fascinating quote from a teacher, and it shows you what pressure the teachers are under and the schools are under. Um, where is it? So the teacher was saying that they're not allowed, that they, they, they have to tell the child that they can't do dyslexia assessments. They have to go privately, although it's actually their legal requirement to do so. And... Even once they've got one, they don't have to take it into account. Mm -hmm. Because the schools know that when a child is identified like this, it's going to cost extra money every single year for the rest of their educational life. So the longer you put it off, the less 
cost it is. Mm-hmm. So, but what schools can actually do is identify them early. Yeah. There's ways to screen for dyslexics when they're six years old. Okay. You know, before all of this emotional toll happens between six and eight. Because they come in and they'll do an eye test. They'll do a hearing test. Yeah, yeah. and there's dyslexia screening tools. You can just give a kid a, a, a set of tests and so on and boom, you know, dyslexic, not dyslexic. What is the key thing that comes up? Or is it? Well, it, it's really, if you can imagine a dyslexia test is, let's go back to the car analogy. Mm-hmm. So imagine your brain is a car. Mm-hmm. You can't see the car, but you can test for some of its output. Okay. So the way a dyslexia test works is it's, checks your engine, your intelligence, checks your IQ. Mm -hmm. That's like your engine. It then checks your processing speed, Mm -hmm. which is like your gearbox. Mm -hmm. So someone will say, right, you know, it's quite clear that they're quite an automatic thinker. Mm -hmm. So their processing speed is high. But if their processing speed is low, they're like a manual gearbox. Mm, Okay. And then they test the seating capacity of the car. So it's kind of like... You might have a car that's a Ferrari with three seats in it, two in the front, one in the back, if you're lucky. Mm. Or you might have a people carrier with seven. Okay. Or a bus with 15. But most people have a working memory of about seven units. Mm. So you know when you get stressed out with your thoughts, Mm -hmm. you're juggling so many different thoughts and you're just stressed out, your working memory's got too full. You have to go somewhere, you have to write it down, Uh you have to get it out your head... And then it gives you some headspace. Yeah. Journal, a to-do list, get it out. Mm-hmm. Because your subconscious mind will not let go of it because it's like, this is really important. And it holds it in the seat in the car. Yeah. Yeah. But when all the car seats are full, any new information either pushes out some important information that gets lost, it doesn't get remembered, it gets deleted mm-hmm. because it's in your temporary working memory, or... It just doesn't go in. So you can be speaking to a kid or an adult and they're going, yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah, I get that. So that's passenger one came in, passenger two came in, passenger three came in. And then you share the fourth point, passenger fourth came in, Mm -hmm. but passenger one went out the back door. Right, yeah, okay. And you look back and you go, yeah, I got all that. Three points are left. But I told you to do seven things. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I did everything. It's that judgment, isn't it? It's that fear of... Oh, it's just heartbreaking to think that there's people going through that now and they have no idea. They have no idea. So these are three key areas of dyslexia. Mm -hmm. You know, what's your intelligence, what's your processing speed, and what's your working memory? Mm -hmm. Now, if you've got a working memory of three, Mm -hmm. the world is designed around a working memory of seven. Yeah. Seven digits in a phone number. You know... Um, lots of sevens, lots of, you know, roughly three things to work on and then have a bit of storage in the back for something here and there. But with a, in a Ferrari, you've got to clear out that car regularly, otherwise you can't take extra passengers. Yeah. And so a dyslexia assessment can be done on kids really early mm-hmm. to say, right, their working memories a three or a four or a five equivalent, mm-hmm. you know. If their working memories are three, then what will happen is, like, and a three is literally remembering three things at once. Mm-hmm. Like if I go to the shop and I remember three things, I'll come back with three things. Mm-hmm. But if my wife says to me, 
or get some bananas as well. I won't remember them. Mm -hmm. I'll remember one or two. Mm -hmm. And so I've learned I can only remember three things at once. So what do I do? I say, well, if you want that, send me a text. And when I get into the shop, I'll have the text and I'll work through the text and I can do it. Mm-hmm. So I work, I, I create a workaround and mm-hmm. schools can create these workarounds as well mm-hmm. and teach the children about how to accommodate their working memory, for example. Mm-hmm. Like teachers shouldn't give children who are dyslexic more than two instructions at once. Yeah. And parents as well. Yeah. Because this is what will happen is if you're a dyslexic kid, if you've got a very creative, animated, you know, dyslexic kind of kid, you know, you tell them, right, uh, Go um, hang up your coat, put your shoes at the door, take your bag upstairs and um, uh, make your bed. Okay? So they've, they've gone, done all three and they've got up to their room and they're sitting playing on their phone. <laughs> right? And the mum comes in and goes, what are you doing playing on your phone? You, your bed's not made. And they're like, oh. And they have this innocent look on their Sincere, innocent look. They go, oh, sorry, mum. I thought I'd done everything. <laughs> and they really believe they've done everything. That's hard, isn't it? And the mum's like, what? <laughs> Seriously? I told you four things and I've been telling you those four things every day for a year. And you're not listening. They are. But their working memory is too small for it. Yeah. So the solution, okay is here's the whiteboard these are your four things Mm -hmm. this is what i want you to do i want you to go to the first thing and then i want you to come back to the whiteboard and then pick one other go and do it and come back to the whiteboard you're only using two seats in the car Mm -hmm. so it allows the child to think about one other thing that they're interested in while they're doing those boring things Uh in their working memory looking forward to playing Fortnite, but i have to go and Get my shoes done. Right, I've done my shoes. I go back to the whiteboard. Fortnite, I'll try this and I'll try that, you know. And then, oh yeah, whiteboard, right, uh, my bag. Yeah, okay, bag. And the job gets done. Do you what th- if you don't care about housework? <laughs> well, well, okay, then, then it really comes down to motivation. Yeah. Yeah? And then you can really start teaching about character. Yeah. But if you haven't dealt with the physical limitations of their working memory first... You start thinking it's about character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can keep thinking it's about character for another five years until they're 12. And then the kid st- starts thinking it's about their character, but it's not. They need a whiteboard and you need to tell them what to do and write it down and they can work through it and go, Mum, are you going to be happy when I've done those four things? Yes. I'll do those four things. Get off my back and then I can play Fortnite? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, I'll do that. Because I mean, it's very easy for those stories to be carried on. You know, you're, you don't listen, you are lazy, you know, these labels that we give. Yeah. And it's so often people are misunderstood and this is a prime example of it, isn't it? Yeah, you've got a bad attitude, you've got bad character, you, you're, you're not motivated in life, you know. You know and, and they're like, I'm really trying. Mm-hmm. But there's... People falling out the back of the car. But then if you go back to the, the gearbox, mm-hmm. so the, the working memory is just one aspect of dyslexia. Two main problems of dyslexia is the gearbox and the passengers. Mm-hmm. So like this kid might have a, a, a Ferrari, 
of a brain. Mm -hmm. Huge engine, but it's a manual Ferrari with three seats. Mm. And, and the teacher and the parent are constantly telling them, right, pick up these four passengers and take them 10 minutes down the road and come back. I'll, I'll see you in 20 minutes once you've done the job. Right, four passengers, Ferrari, you know, you're going to have to make two trips. Take two of them in, drive there, drive back, pick up another two, drive there, drive back. It takes you twice as long, but you're driving a faster car. Mm -hmm. Nice yeah. analogy. Do you see what I mean? I like it. No, it's good. I think that'll be useful for people because it, it, it's hard to get these things into your head sometimes. And especially when people are so busy and they're rushing around or you have a teacher or a parent who's so busy yeah. they're trying to do everything and sometimes stepping back to get a little bit of clarity and actually be challenged that way but for you how did you not take those labels on like where did you get to the point for your own well-being and your mental health where you were able to feel free again well i i think um i'm lucky because i think my personality um I think different personalities respond to it differently and mm -hmm. um, internalize it differently. My big thing was being a disappointment and um, feeling like a disappointment. If, if Joe ever kind of starts saying, doing that, I'm disappointed in you thing, mm -hmm. that's a big trigger for me. Yeah. You know, and I realize now I can be manipulated by that. Mm. And I'm like, Look, that's a big deal for me, mm -hmm. you know, if I'm, and, and, and I think it's just kind of a bit more self-awareness. Mm -hmm. Um, faith has been a big part of it as well in that whole journey, just being more aware of myself, aw more aware of what meaning is important for me, where my values are, where I find my, my, um, personal satisfaction, source of love and acceptance and things like that that a lot of that happened when I was 25 21 and that was important for me were you raised in a Christian home or no oh. no I was raised in a Zoroastrian home oh. um, my dad was Zoroastrian um, <clears throat> he became a Christian when I was 14 and I totally made fun of him well that's the thing it's labels because the word Christian to me <sighs> It's not, a, a, you know, the labels, the connotations, you think judgment, because um, Jesus, absolute legend, love Jesus. Oh, uh, yeah. Struggle with Christianity. Yeah, yeah. I don't. <laughs> I struggled with Christianity from the first day. Yeah. Like, like it was kind of like when I had my, this spiritual encounter, uh, I had a spiritual encounter and um, over a process of time, not just like I saw some light. Um, it I was kind of like, oh no, seriously, why can't it be Buddhism? You know, like, why can't you be Buddha? What, because that's cool? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and you know, it, 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 and I, I, I was like, for years, it was just kind of like, oh God, do I have to associate myself with these people? You know, seriously? And, uh, you know, I still sometimes struggle with that. And, and, and the strangest thing was that I ended up in spite of myself you know when you have some sort of personal discovery mm -hmm. and epiphany and so on lots of different times it happens and you think 
oh, I discovered this, and this is just me who's discovered this incredible epiphany. I don't know, and maybe in psychology or understanding people or spiritual or science or whatever, and then you meet other people who have had exactly the same epiphany. No, no, you can't have had that as an epiphany because this is mine. Uh-huh. And you realize, no, there's lots of other people. And you go, really? And you're one of those Christians? Yeah, it's it's been a challenge. It is hard. It still is. But what I loved about it... I, uh, yeah. Sorry, go on. No, I... I I have a, a a love hate, not hate. I have a organized religion. Mm-hmm. Doesn't isn't the spokesperson for Christ. Yes. It just shouts louder. There are thousands, millions of people who are living a life of faith. Um that is reflected in the way they love their neighbor mm-hmm. and love God um in the way they live and work mm-hmm. um and sometimes they organize and sometimes it's much more informal mm-hmm. and so that's been my kind of maturing in my faith mm-hmm. that to accept that you know informal faith is good yeah, someone had said recently, Jesus didn't come to start Christianity, didn't come no. to start that. Uh, and, you know, I was speaking to a guy in, in the church recently, and he was a funeral director, and he said most of the funerals now are secular, you know, people yes. don't want that. And yes. uh, I said, why do you think that is? And he said, well, well, one, the judgment, but people just want to do their own thing. Yeah. And it's it's a tricky one, because at the same time, everyone's searching for more meaning in their life and more of a kind of spiritual enlightenment or whatever you want to call it. Um, so it's a hard one, isn't it? But I think it's the, the human side of it, you know, the judgment, the, the or God's a jealous God. Well, that's not, that's not Jesus to me. That's not God to me, a jealous God. Um, you know, it's when you have these connotations that can put people off. You'll burn in a fiery pit of hell. Well, I, <laughs> well it's the whole judgment thing. I mean, the crazy thing is that when I read it, Jesus says, do not judge. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, right. So what does that mean? And I think this, is, this relates to life and dyslexia and so on as well, in a way, in that we need to have good judgment, mm-hmm. but we shouldn't pass judgment. Mm-hmm. And there's a big difference, but they're very close to each other. Okay. And so, you know, having good judgment in life is important, you know, and as we grow up, we start thinking, oh, well, all things are kind of the same. And then you realize, no, some things are better than others. Some ways of doing things are better than others. You know, it's just a fact of life. Mm -hmm. Um, But passing judgment is a very different thing Mm -hmm. than having judgment, good judgment. Mm -hmm. I like that statement. That's powerful, actually. And that is the way, because the more we judge, you know, uh, having been raised in the church, you know, I've seen, I've met some incredible people, people that I think, wow, just being in their presence is proof alone that God exists. But then you have the politics, people that have left the church because they've been made to feel unwelcome Mm. for not wearing a hat or, you know, just this ridiculous someone, uh, you know, getting pregnant out of marriage or something like that. Really lovely, good people. And you think, 
we're, we're messed up human beings. Mm-hmm. We really are messed up. You know, we're all messed up. Mm-hmm. And it's just remarkable how well we do, <laughs> it, uh, considering. But, And I think we just have to accept that we're all messed up in our own way. We're all, we've all got our own struggles. Like, mm-hmm. for me, my struggle was dyslexia. Now I realize it. Uh, other people, it will be their mental health. Other people, it will be physical, you know, mm-hmm. problems and all sorts, you know. Um, it could be all sorts of different struggles that people have. Yeah, don't be too quick to judge. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that relates to kids. Mm-hmm. We, we judge our kids. Mm-hmm. We judge our kids too quickly. And all they need sometimes is love. I remember we were at a party recently and Charlie was the only boy. And he's four. And there was some older bossy girls. And uh, they kept coming up, oh, Charlie's been naughty. He's pushing us. And it was very easy to make him the kind of scapegoat of the party. Oh, he's just annoying that boy. And I said, well, what's wrong? Is he feeling left out? Is he hurting? What's, you can see in his eyes, something's not right. But people are very, he's all oh, just cheeky, naughty little boy. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you're thinking, no, there's more to it than that. Yeah, yeah. Powerful conversations. So to just conclude, how do you, I mean, what you said about faith is really important there and, you know, because meditation is all the rage now, but if you've been praying since you got to your kind of faith in your 20s, then you've been meditating. Yeah, I meditate. Yeah. So prayer is meditation too. It's just a different, you know, it's a personal thing. But how else do you look after your mental health? Oh, that's a good one. Well, I sleep and I I'm, I, I used to be a bit insomniac. Mm-hmm. So I try and protect my sleep mm-hmm. and get my sleep. I think that's important. So important. Um. Also, like I kind of learnt when Joe was going through her cancer years, those three years, incredible stress. I actually slept a lot, like between hospital visits and things like that. I would just go, hmm, I'm feeling really stressed. I'll go and sleep. Mm -hmm. And I would sleep for half an hour or 20 minutes or whatever. That was one thing. And then the other thing is just thankfulness. Mm -hmm. You know, often I... Uh, get in the car when I'm driving I just speak out things that I'm thankful for as Mm -hmm. an antidote to you know feeling overwhelmed Mm -hmm. I think whenever I feel overwhelmed I'm probably the antidote for me is being deeply grateful Mm -hmm. love that and saying it out loud in the car normally because there's no one else there I have to say it out loud otherwise I get distracted by other stuff yeah I think that's good though because it makes it more real yeah. You know, you get coaches training people um, to speak in front of the mirror and, yeah. and, and it's all about affirmations and all this sort of stuff. You are enough. I am enough to try and, you know, all these issues we build up from childhood and, you know, all the triggers every day. You might be a teenager who's had triggers at school or it doesn't go away. We're, as you say, we're messed up humans, right? So there's yeah. always going to be triggers every day could be your relationship the people closest to you oh i made that mistake you did this you did that um so actually saying each you know you can um rewire uh a pessimistic child's brain by saying five acts of gratitude around the dinner table 
The other, the other thing that we did with our kids, and I did, I do for myself, is sing. Oh yeah. Now you'll like this, Georgia. And as cut as a segue to your singing here, but I often do switch on a song, uh, often a worship song for me, um, because it's so they're often very positive, uh, affirmation type songs and and grateful songs, um, and I I do those in the car as well, mm-hmm. and that that sort of resets my focus internally my heart and we did that with the kids in the car we were very deliberate about what songs we sang Mm -hmm. and we would sing certain songs in the car all sorts of different kinds of songs Mm -hmm. the kids still remember them and they became like anthems in the car we'd all sing them on the way to school or the way back and it just kind of got them in a mindset and and pre-framed them for the day or for coming into school so mm-hmm. we often used so certain songs to pre-frame do you, do you know what I mean yeah, by pre-framing I, yeah, yeah I love that we, we're huge on that actually yes. as a family and uh, so important and they do that in Bonnie's school actually um, assembly day they have things like you know a million dreams and keeping me awake and um, you know for really positive songs and right. you yes. know about picking yourself up building yeah. resilience and yeah. things like that uh, what's your favourite worship song, actually? Um, Oceans is a good one. I don't know if I know that one. I'm and then think. there's... Um, I, don't, I don't know the names. No. I just have them on my playlist as part of my dyslexia. I'm terrible at remembering you can, things. You can send me some. Okay. Uh, and there's some... I was at a, a funeral at the start of the year, and it was a guy, Robert Field, who was the most amazing... Christian man I've met in my life and if if you were totally against Christianity and you met him you would be like well what is who is this man and um, the song one of the songs we sang at his funeral was um, It Is Well With My Soul oh yeah and oh I had goose pimples just singing that um, but just amazing well for me for me uh, life is about love and you know I regard uh creator god um as the source of love pure love and we're just gradually discovering what love really is and all this kind of judgment and all this kind of stuff you know what is love i mean there's kind different kinds of love and we could go into some i'm not into necessarily talking about theology and all of that jazz but um a parent's love looks out for the well-being of their child Mm -hmm. and sometimes love is determined Mm -hmm. and it's like i need you to know that that is not good for you Mm -hmm. i don't know how i'm going to show you that i'm going to help you discover that but there are some things that are good for kids and some things that are 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 great for kids Mm -hmm. and they need to learn that and we need to accept that as parents Mm -hmm. and that's a form of love and that's a really hard love Mm-hmm. We're, we're really very happy about the warm and squishy and accepting love mm-hmm. but there is a love that rejects what harms our kids mm-hmm. and you know sometimes it's certain kids mm-hmm. that they're friends with and you look I'm really sorry but you, you can't play with them anymore they're not good for you they're not good for you they're not bringing out the best in you and you're not bringing out the best in them mm-hmm. and that's really hard that is hard you know and that's just that very rarely happens, but that's just a little example of the confusing nature of love. 
Mm-hmm. You know, love is so big mm-hmm. and different mm-hmm. that we just can't put it in a box mm-hmm. and put a love heart on it mm-hmm. and think that's it sorted. Yeah. If only it were that easy. And I think being a parent is probably the hardest, the, the best way to learn about what love is. Oh, really is, because it's the most unconditional form of love. And then you've got the whole struggle about what about me? Yeah. <laughs> As well, you know, like love for yourself. I mean, uh, uh, self-care uh, and all of that, because it's not just about totally abandoning yourself to a child. It, there's so much more to it. Than... There's so much more to it. And this morning, Charlie didn't want to get dressed, and we just I just need to get him to school. And I'm not being feeling totally tip top, bit run down. Bonnie had a cold. I feel like I'm getting that. Anyway, we've got quite a steep hill up. And he said, "I'm not walking." And I said, "Charlie, I could really do without carrying you." So I ended up carrying him with his bags. Obviously, made sure they were fed and dressed. Didn't even think about breakfast for myself. Get to the top of the hill, he jumps down and starts skipping into school with all this energy and I am done and I can't even say hello to anyone. I'm like, <gasps> chesty cough. And um, you just think, that's parent. You know, it's so easy to put yourself last and then you've nothing left in your cup. Yeah. So that's a huge part of the work I do is to remind people to fill their own cup, whether they're a parent or they're they're just really busy looking after an older parent. Yes. Or um, you know, someone in the family, as you're saying, like cancer or going through something really tricky like that, how you can fill up that cup gradually, be it a twenty minute nap, be it a, an empowering song in the car when you're feeling like life's on top and it's not gonna get any worse. Yeah. And the triggers keep on coming. <laughs> or or Netflix. Yeah, I have to say that, yeah, you know, absolutely. I watch a lot of telly. Yeah, well, it's terrible. But no, it's not terrible though. If you enjoy it, my kids make fun of me, but no, I, I do a lot and I watch a lot. Well, you need to. You need to. I I love telly. I've been reading a lot lately, so I'm kind of torn between. It'd be nice to lie and have some telly time, but I'm really loving these books. So I kind what of what are you reading? Oh, so many books. I dare to lead um, a few spiritual ones. A mindfulness book. Um, and I've got a big list from recommendations. Do you read them all at once? Do you dip in and I out? I dip in or and do you out sometimes, the and then I do Audible as well. Okay. So, kind of, yeah, um, I just love it. Yeah. I love learning. I love being curious. I love underlining books, but I also love an Audible, and then if I forget parts. Um, but there's a good one I'm reading it, well, listening to it at the moment, Tuesdays with Maury, who was recommended by Gavin Oates, um, who was on this podcast a few weeks ago, an amazing best-selling author and speaker, a, a lovely guy, and he was like, it was one of his favourite books. I said, oh, I'll get that. I had a credit that week, so I remembered the name, I got that, and it's, that's been challenging. And a part, I was speaking to my mum about part of it, and it was saying, because <laughs> he wanted to go to his funeral before he died, because he didn't have long to live and because he, he wanted to hear what people would say about him. And I said to mum and dad when we were away this weekend, why don't we all say nice things about each other so that if I get hit by a bus, I'll know what you would say. And my mum's like quite a no person. <laughs> and I'm this annoying yes person. She's like, that's an awful idea. What a horrible game. And I was like, no, but I don't mean we're going to die. But I just mean, isn't it really nice to say what we all really love about each other to build each other up? She was so against that game. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just well, like... <laughs> I, I tell you a cunning way to introduce that into your into your family culture for generations to come mm-hmm. okay we introduced this which was on a person's birthday mm-hmm. while we're sitting around the table celebrating it we all say one thing we really like about that person whose birthday it is love that 
And we, we knew if we introduced it, well, I introduced it. I knew I, I introduced this when they were like 13, 15 or whatever. Oh. So we started when they were young. Mm-hmm. And now, like my 18-year-old daughter, we were at someone else's birthday celebration. She was like, well, we have this tradition that we all go around the circle and say what we like about the birthday person. Shall we do that? Everyone's like, well, okay. And we did it. And it's so touching. It's amazing. You know? And so, you know, if you start it young, mm-hmm. then it it, it, it it grows if you take that long-term view. I love that. I love that. Because in a world that can feel dark, anything to lighten it up and lighten people. And wor- words, we need more compliments because our mind focuses on the negative stories that we're told and the labels that we carry on. And even if it's once a year. Yeah. You know, that's just once a year. All I said to the kids, just once a year, (laughs) we'll say what we like about that one person. And the interesting thing is, you think, well, that's just once a year. Surely we we should do it more than that. Well, of course we should. Mm -hmm. But imagine if you've, there are some children who have never heard their parents say, I think you're amazing. Mm. Or a dad say that. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, they might have thought it, they might have felt it, but maybe they're a quiet, introverted person that doesn't really articulate themselves very well like that. Mm-hmm. Well, once they're around the table, they're like, Dad, what What would you like to say? Like, uh, um, well, <clears throat> I think the way you do projects is spectacular, <laughs> you know? And you're like, thank you, Dad, mm-hmm. you know? That's when little traditions like this, you know, seeding that habit into a family is is so important, I think. So important. Oh, well, that's been amazing. I'm inspired. I'm uplifted. um, And I'm sure everyone else will be too. So thank you. Um, As always, we'll sing out if you want to. Do you have a favourite song? Um, Well, I got a little. Well, I do have a favourite song. uh, What a Wonderful World. Oh, let's sing that then. Yeah. I've lost my voice a little or bit. Or Father and Son. Those are my two choices. Oh. We used to do Sing Star. Did you, did oh, you do Sing Star? a long time ago, yeah. Yeah. We used to run a youth group and we used to do Sing Star with the youth oh. uh, karaoke. And my the only one that worked with my voice was Father and Son. I'm trying to think, what, how does Father and Son go? I don't even know it. Maybe yeah. I do. How do you do the song? Well, we'll bring it up. I'm going to stop this recording um, and then we'll we'll re-record. So um, I'll say a big thank you. Thank you, you legend. Thank you. It's not time to make a change. Just relax and take it easy. You're still young. That's your fault. There's so much you have to go through Find a girl, settle down If you want, you can marry Look at me, I am old, but I'm happy I was once like you are now And I know that it's not easy to become when you found something going on But take your time, think a lot Why think of everything you've got For you will still be here tomorrow But your dreams may not
How can I try to explain when I do it turns away again? It's always been the same, same old story. From the moment I could talk, I was always to listen. Now is away, and I know that I have to go away. I know I have to go away. Great voice, Darius. Darius, you are you um, the real singer? No, I used to play with him actually. He's Iranian. Oh, yeah. what is this? Glasgow. No way. When our parents used to play bridge. No way. Time to make a change. Just sit down, take it slowly. You're still young, that's your fault. There's so much you have to go through. Find the girls, settle down. If you want, you can marry. Look at me. I am old, but I'm happy. All the times. That I cried, keeping all the things I knew inside it hard, but it's harder to ignore it. These are your lyrics. It's the right, I agree, but it's then you know me. Now there's a way, and I know that I have to go away. I know. I have to go. Woo! You're awesome.